0: I'm Terence Mickey, and welcome to Memory Motel. On the morning of August 23rd, 1973, Jan Olsen walked into a bank with a submachine gun in one hand and in the other, a canvas suitcase, packed with everything he'd need for the most ambitious heist of his career. He'd just escaped from prison in the south of Sweden, and he'd made his way north to Stockholm, where his attempted robbery would captivate the country. It was Sweden's first televised crime. Updates were broadcast constantly, and in Stockholm, families would even gather near the bank, trying to peer into the glass facade to see what on earth would happen next. For six days, Jan Olsen and his accomplice, Clark Olofsson, would put four hostages through a living hell. But the public, in front of their TVs and outside the bank, scrutinized and questioned, well, the hostages especially one woman in particular, Kristen Enmark.
1: When they write things in the paper, I I couldn't care less. I know my story. I know my truth.
0: Everything she reportedly said and did was not what anyone expected from a hostage. She said she was more afraid of the police than the robbers, Jan and Clark. She pleaded with the prime minister of Sweden to let her leave with them in the getaway car. When the robbers were finally prosecuted, she refused to testify against them. And years after the robbery, she had a relationship with one of them. To the public, the robbers' behavior made sense. It was what they expected from criminals. But Kristen's behavior, it was a mystery. Eventually, she was diagnosed by the psychologist and criminologist Nils Beirut, with a disease he coined... Stockholm Syndrome. -syndrome. -syndrome.
1: -syndrome. Kidnapper and victim, a relationship that can be
0: one of the strangest and strongest in human psychology. It's a very primitive, almost childlike attachment that develops, they come to know that their very survival is dependent upon keeping this person happy and satisfied. If you've never heard of Stockholm Syndrome, here's a helpful overview from Wikipedia. It's a psychological phenomenon first described in 1973 in which hostages express empathy and sympathy and have positive feelings toward their captors sometimes to the point of defending and identifying with the captors. These feelings are generally considered irrational in light of the danger or risk endured by the victims, who essentially mistake a lack of abuse from their captors for an act of kindness. Even though there have been other famous cases of Stockholm Syndrome, Patty Hearst, for example, Kristen Enmark was the first person diagnosed with the syndrome. And for over 40 years, she's carried that stigma with her.
1: I always felt that I did something wrong. You're not healthy when you have a syndrome.
0: And for over 40 years, she's felt silenced by the weight of her diagnosis.
1: So if you say that these girls or me have this syndrome, you don't have to pay attention to what they say.
0: In today's episode, The Ideal Hostage, Kristen goes back to that bank to share her memory of what happened.
1: After almost 50 years, I felt... Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. I just can't remember. And I remember? can't remember. This. I remember even. I do remember he said this. He said. Those stories were the essence of it
0: like what it
1: was to be alive.
0: It was heaven. Can you trust that? Kristen grew up in a small city in northern Sweden called Chalefto, where she fell in love with a young man.
1: In that time it was very hard to get a job in Chalefto, so many people were moving. So I moved him to a little place outside Stockholm.
0: In Stockholm's largest bank, she found a job as a stenographer.
1: Somehow I knew this wouldn't be my career. I would never go to be the bank director. But I liked the people I worked with, and the job was okay.
0: On August 23rd, 1973, what happened on that job would change her life.
1: I was not working in the in the bank hall.
0: Normally, she would have been hidden in a back office. But that morning, she walked into the bank hall to see a colleague.
1: Actually, it was this guy who was working in the bank hall, and I had well, some kind of crush for him. <laughs> I don't know if he knew it. Uh, So I, I took some papers and went to talk to him. And then suddenly I heard these shots. Immediately I laid on the floor and when I looked up no one else was lying on the floor. It was only me. And I thought, oh my God. What have I done? Was it something that wasn't so dangerous? But then... I saw that all the other ones was coming down to the floor. So, well, I knew that something terrible has happened.
0: After shooting at the ceiling, Jan announced to the crowd, the party has just begun. Then he placed his transistor radio on a teller's counter and turned it up, full blast.
1: I thought he he was crazy. He was very, very nervous. He pointed at his gun all the time. He had this knife in front of him. And and, uh, if if he had been calm, of course I, I would have been scared anyway. But this thing that he was so nervous was, I didn't like that. He came behind the desk. He pointed out me and two of my colleagues.
0: Jan forced the man Kristen had a crush on to tie her up and two other women, Brigitte Lundblad and Elizabeth Olgren. Later, a fourth hostage, Sven Sathström, would join them.
1: There were many people in the, in the bank hall, and they lay there for two three hours before another colleague stood up and said, it's hard to be here. How long are we going to be here? And I'm, I remember I thought, well... How do you think it's for me? <laughs> and then Janne said, you can leave. My colleagues, they could leave.
0: The bank emptied out except for Jan and his hostages. Up to this point, Jan was solo, without an accomplice. He needed the hostages to negotiate all his demands with the police.
1: He wanted three million Swedish crowns and a car. Janne then said that he wanted uh, Clark Ulosson being brought there from from his prison.
0: Yes, Jan's accomplice Clark was in jail, and he was notorious.
1: Clark was a well-known criminal in Sweden. He was uh, mentioned to be extremely dangerous.
0: Clark was 26 and serving time for armed robbery and accessory in the murder of a policeman.
1: When he wanted Clark to get there, I was terrified.
0: A few hours after Jan fired his first shot, the police escorted a handcuffed clerk through the back entrance of the bank. They freed him and sent him to the bank hall to speak with Jan. And what happened next was not what anyone expected.
1: When he came, he was calming everything down. He said, you can't have the girls tied up like this. Tie them loose. Uh, And Jan was becoming very calm. So I thought wow, what's happening? Me and and all the others were very glad that he came because the situation became totally different. He comforted me. He held my hand. He said, I'm going to see that uh, Janne doesn't hurt you. I can't say that I felt safe because that's not the word, but uh, I chose to believe him. He meant very much to me because I thought that uh, someone cared about me, but it it was no, no uh, no affection in that way. In some way, he gave me hope or f- faith in this is this is going to end okay.
0: At the time, there was no sign that this would end okay. By the end of the first day, the police had set up sharpshooters on nearby rooftops aimed at the bank's facade. Through the glass, Jan could see the getaway car he requested, a blue Mustang, parked on the street. But he didn't trust the government or police. They insisted he leave behind the hostages, but he knew the police would chase him down without them.
1: Uh, Most of the time he had someone of us beside him so that police couldn't shoot. It was uh, one of the other girls who he often had in front of him. I think she had a hard time for that. She has a hard time for that.
0: After a while, the constant threat of snipers wore on Jan.
1: Eventually, not the first day, maybe the second day or the third, Jan there decided that we all go into the bank vault
0: Jan and Clark closed the inner door halfway to protect themselves and listen for the police.
1: This vault became the home base because it was the place where the police couldn't shoot us.
0: The vault was cramped, but ideal for Jan and Clark to feel in control. Outside the door was a staircase leading from the vault to the upper floor where the cops had set up an outpost. And that staircase became the place where messages and food and blankets and other provisions were exchanged. Inside the vault, Jan used the rope he brought to tie around his hostages' necks and allowed them to walk freely outside the vault when they felt too claustrophobic. Eventually, Jan allowed Kristen and Brigitta to leave the vault unleashed, which underscored their loyalty not to the robbers, but to each other.
1: She went before me to the bathroom, and when you went to the bathroom, there were several policemen standing, you could just walk the other way and get out. Jan had said, if you don't come back, I'm going to do something to, to yes. the other two.
0: Jan's accomplice, Clark, when she was came in back, jail, she nodded at and me. She told me,
1: don't scream when you'll see the police. And I think that's solidarity, because she had these two small children at home. I don't know If it had been me, maybe I just walked the other way. But she didn't. I have an extremely big hope for her.
0: Jan and Clark's plan had pretty much come together. They secured the getaway car, the money. But the one thing stopping them was how they'd escape. They knew if they left without the hostages, the police would hunt them down. But after releasing another criminal from jail, providing a getaway car and money, the police were not about to let them leave with innocent lives. Jan decided to go to the top. He called the prime minister of Sweden to demand that he order the police to let Clark and him escape with the hostages. As one would expect, the prime minister said, no way. Then, while on the phone, Jan grabbed one of the hostages, Elizabeth, by the neck. The prime minister could hear her gasps and then the phone went dead. Kristen, seeing Jan's frustrated attempt to negotiate, thought she would have a better shot with the police. But this is where her disillusionment with them started.
1: I was the one who was the, the victim, and I think they, maybe they could listen to what I wanted. But they just faded me away, take her away. It was very hard for me.
0: The next morning started with Jan firing two rounds of shots with his submachine gun. The police had been trying to identify Jan. They had no idea who he was. But then someone misidentified him. At this point, they thought Jan was the escaped convict Kai Hansen, and they thought they'd hit the jackpot when they found Kai's brother.
1: He was 16. They took him out to Stockholm. They sent him down at the bank hall. He says... Kai, I'm your brother, and Janne was shooting at him. He ran up, and the police forced him to go back again. He was a kid. I I think a lot about him. I think that's one of the worst things that happened. And then they just put him on the train back again home to Skåne, to the south of Sweden.
0: At this point, Kristen lost all faith in the police.
1: I wasn't sure that it made me safer that they are there. I assume that the police were uh, concerned about the hostage, but I think that we were the, 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 the second thought.
0: Just at the point when Kristen was doubting the police, they asked Jan and Clark if they could see the hostages. Commissioner Linroth stood at the top of the staircase out of harm's way. As he peered at each hostage, Clark led up. Linroth told his associates the inspection had been odd. The hostages had showed hostility toward him. Kristen, he said, practically curled her lip. And none of them had any requests. None of them gave him imploring looks, saying, save us. When Clark helped each hostage up the staircase, Linroth noted a tenderness, a closeness, an ease. The commissioner told his aides that there was nothing for him to conclude except that they all appeared physically healthy. As for anything else he could report, they were up against a great mystery. When he reported the scene to the press, reporters called the hostages on the vault phone. They wanted to know if it was true. Did they entrust their lives to the hands of criminals? The interviews broadcast on the radio and TV baffled the Swedish public, who began theorizing about the hostages' ease with the robbers. And one conversation that was not meant to be broadcast, but was, made the mystery even more intriguing. Kristin called the prime minister of Sweden herself.
1: And it's amazing that he he took the phone. It would never happen today. We talked for Almost an hour.
0: The two of them came at the situation from radically different points of view. Kristen was thinking about how to survive, while the prime minister was thinking about how to uphold social stability. And allowing bank robbers to leave with hostages would not have sent the right message to other criminals. At one point on the call, Kristen said, I'm very disappointed. I think you are sitting there playing checkers with our lives. I fully trust Clark and the robber. I'm not desperate. They haven't done a thing to us. On the contrary, they've been very nice. But you know, Olaf, that was the prime minister's first name. What I am scared of is that the police will attack and cause us to die. The prime minister said, but the police will not do that. She replied, I want you to let us go away with the robber. Give them the foreign currency and two guns and let us drive off. But one can't do that, the prime minister said. Consider the situation, he pleaded with her. They were robbing a bank and shooting at the police. He couldn't comprehend why Kristen wanted to leave with the robbers.
1: When I said, I want to go with these guys, and I said, I I don't care if I die here or die outside somewhere. And then he said to me, "Uh, wouldn't it feel good for you to die on your post? I was 23. (laughs) I had this very low status at the bank. When he said that, I thought, you don't understand nothing.
0: Their conversation ended with Kristen sarcastically thanking him for the help. The police feared they were losing a connection to the hostages, so they encouraged the parents to call into the
1: vault. I was sleeping at that time, so Janne answered the phone. My mother said, can I talk to Christine? And he said, she's sleeping. Should I wake her up? I think the police made a mistake. They didn't know how I would react. I could have been hysteric. The police had told them, "Uh, don't make her cry. I don't like that call because they tried to be as normal as usual, and she had some uh, remarks. I called the the police, the guys, the guys in the stairway, and she said, "You don't use that word, Christine. You know how to talk." And my father, he said, "Oh, you're playing poker. You got a lot of money." So they were making some kind of joke of it, but I think it was it was so peculiar. What? <laughs>
0: The third morning started with what had nearly become routine, gunshots. This time it was a policeman shooting at no specific target, just trying to provoke signs of life from the vault. It was 10 a.m. after all, and they'd heard nothing. Another officer sneaked down the staircase and managed to lock the outside vault door.
1: Well, I remember hearing the, you know, when the door was shut. And then I said, okay, we can't get out. Um... If you excuse me, that's when the shit really hit the fan.
0: (laughs) After her failed attempt to plead with the prime minister, Kristen lost nearly all hope, and the general mood of the vault was despondent. The police would not allow any phone calls out, so the hostages were cut off from family, the outside world, and even the most basic provisions. Clark started humming a popular song on the charts that summer.
1: Do want me to sing it? <laughs> Strumming my pace with his fingers da, na, 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 na. Killing me softly with his song Killing me softly with his song da, na, 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 na. Killing me softly with his song.
0: Meanwhile The country was at a standstill. Nobody could concentrate on anything but the bank drama. And the people of Sweden flooded the police department with their bright ideas. Have the Salvation Army Band play religious songs to break Jan's resistance, or release a swarm of angry bees into the vents to scare them out of the vault. But the police, they had their own
1: bright idea. The police started drilling and uh, Janice says they're drilling because they want to put in gas. You know, you do that to kill rats. I think it's attempt to murder.
0: The police had carefully examined the bank's architectural plans to measure where they could drill holes without harming anyone.
1: The drilling was day and night for I don't know how many hours, how many days.
0: During the drilling, the police hid an electrical box.
1: The light went out. So it was dark, and then I mean dark, dark.
0: And then the claustrophobic space flooded.
1: You know, when you drill, you must have water so that the drill is not burning. So it was so much water on the floor, we didn't get any food or water, so we have to take these sheets so we can take the drill water through it so we can drink that water.
0: Then Jan secured nooses around the neck of each hostage.
1: I didn't think he was going to hang us. But what I believed was that he said, if you're in gas for more than 15 minutes, you can get brain damages.
0: And then the police dropped in flasks of tear gas.
1: When the gas came in and he said, get up girls, then I thought he was going to kill me. I really did. But he didn't. He said, I surrender. I remember shouting, he surrendered. he surrender, because I was so afraid that he would regret that. And then the police opened the door. And when I look out, I see these two guys looking like Rambo. They want us to come out first, the hostage. And then Yanis says, if, if you go out, they're going to kill us. So we said, let the guys go out first. And then they went out, we went out. He took us to the hospital. He wanted me to lie down on the stretcher, and I re- refused. I wanted to walk out, because I was so angry with the whole situation. I read my journals from the hospital, and it was very emotional. It shows how, how scared I was when I came there, how I couldn't sleep. How I wanted someone to hold my hand. I was screaming. Then I went home to my family in the north. I spent much time there with my friends. I wanted to be with people who I thought liked me and cared about me and make things as normal as usual. and not exposed to anything else. After this drama, all the attention has been focused on this police uh, psychiatric man, Beirut. And I think it's very interesting because uh, I always felt that I did something wrong. The ideal hostage is a woman who keeps her mouth shut. She uh, thinks that the society and the police is going to protect her. And when someone pops up, like me, who says the opposite, uh, you have to uh, call it being not healthy, being sick, being, uh, you know, a syndrome. Instead of, of looking at what did Janne do, what did Clark do? What did the police do? What did the society do? You said, these women were not healthy. And this is, I think it's a way of blaming the victim. So I had this 40 years of the feeling of, of doing something wrong. All the things that I did was instinct of survival. I wanted to survive. I don't think it's so odd. I think it's, what would you do?
0: Years after the robbery, Kristen would reunite with Jan.
1: Some years later when I was in a TV show, he was there too. And afterwards we went to have dinner. He talked about it like, you know, we had this experience together. Oh, well, it was uh, some kind dangerous, but we made it like that. I told him how scared I had been, how scared I was now, how it had affected my life. Uh, I was very hard on him, and I wanted him to understand that he had really done something wrong. And he, he started to cry. I don't remember if he said, I'm sorry, but when he started to cry... I felt that maybe now I understand what he did. And now I'm a psychotherapist. I work very much with with the couples. During the the time, I thought that no one listened to me. The police didn't listen. Palmer didn't listen. Uh, So I think it's of course all therapists think that you have to listen to people, but for me it's it's I think it's even more important.
0: Today's episode was produced by me, Terence Mickey, and Bart Walshaw with an extraordinary amount of help from the Memory Motel team, and even Chris from the What's Happening Here team. A big thank you to Kristen and Mark for sharing her story with me and revisiting memories that were at times painful. I would love any reason to speak with her again. So if you have questions, I will gladly host a Facebook Live session with her. Please reach out on Facebook or Twitter at Memory Motel or at Terrence underscore Mickey. Thank you, Maddie Savage, the host of The Stockholmer. For introducing me to Kristen. For your love of everything Swedish, please check out her podcast on iTunes. In today's episode, we featured original music from Graham Tracy. You can find a link to his website, High Lonesome Recording, in our show notes, as well as details on the Stockholmer podcast and the New Yorker article that was instrumental in telling this story. Please visit our website, memorymotel.audio. And for our Patreon members, we have the full interview with Kristen as well as an additional interview with Alan Wade, a professor at the University of Seattle in Canada, who further explains what he sees as the misconception of Stockholm Syndrome. Until next time, I'm Terrence Mickey, and I can't wait to hear what you find when you go back. ¶¶